welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Whether you are in the room live, watching live online, later on demand, or listening to our podcast, we're thankful that you have taken some time in this busy holiday season to worship with us. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. That team is made up of people committed to helping you grow. People grow here because our team loves to challenge, encourage, and equip people to become more like Jesus. If this is your first time visiting Dayspring, we want you to know that this is the kind of church where you get to be you. We're just like you, imperfect people on a journey. We're allowing Jesus to make something beautiful out of our broken and often messy lives. Learning to live like him, a little more today than yesterday, a little more tomorrow than today. Even if you aren't sure that you're ready to be on that journey with us, maybe you are skeptical about the claims of Jesus or skeptical of his followers. Well, this is still a great place, a safe place to explore and ask questions as you look for answers. We're asking those same questions and looking for answers too. So I think we can be pretty good company on your journey. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church by checking out our Facebook page or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. The week began like most of my weeks. Uh, Monday is my day off, so I did my regular home stuff, uh, ending with our weekly family dinner. I was tired by bedtime, so as usual, I was asleep when my head hit the pillow for an hour. And then I spent the rest of the night tossing and turning until my alarm went off at 5 a.m., even though I was tired, I knew I wouldn't start sleeping at this point, so I got up, got ready for my day, and headed into the office to write my sermon. Maybe it's because I was tired, maybe it was spiritual warfare, maybe both, but every word was a struggle. I rewrote my intro about five times, then began to slog through a topic that I was actually pretty excited about, but I just couldn't get that excitement to translate onto the page. On a normal Tuesday, the staff, my family and friends all know what's happening behind my closed door, so they leave me alone. But for some reason, this Tuesday, well, was interruption followed by interruption from all of the above. Someone came by the church and just had to talk to me. My father-in-law needed a ride back from a doctor's appointment. On and on and on. And by the time the clock said 5 p.m., my brain was done. But my sermon was not. And I knew it wouldn't be done by my 6 o'clock meeting, so I did something that I've never had to do before. I printed my unfinished sermon so that Lori the person who makes everything we write around this place uh, better could begin her job. You see, when I, when I first started preaching, I made a deal with God. I told him, God, this is the only block of time I have to write a sermon every week. So I'll show up if you show up. 
And together we'll lay out what you want your people to hear on Sunday. And in all of that time, God has shown up every time and we've done our thing together. I don't think we've ever missed an end of the day deadline before. So I printed out what I had for Lori to start fixing grammar, double-checking my facts, cleaning up my run-on sentences, clarifying what was confusing, and I gave it to her with an apology and a promise that I'd get back to it the next morning. I knew that I'd have time to finish it while I waited for my father-in-law as he had old man eye surgery. Besides, I was tired. That night, I went to bed and slept for another hour or so. And then the same thing, tossing, turning, praying, asking God to knock me out, uh, praying through my sermon, praying for you, trying to figure out how to better communicate my excitement for the topic. I delivered my father-in-law to his appointment and then sitting in my car to wait, I opened my laptop to pound out an ending. I opened the file and it was completely blank. Just the title, nothing, nothing else. Everything I'd worked on the day before, gone. Okay, now let me just pause for a moment and tell you this wasn't possible. This isn't my first rodeo. I do this every week. I have learned to save every time I leave my office for any reason. And if I'll be gone for more than five minutes, I'll save and close out of Microsoft Word so that my, if my computer locks up, which it sometimes does because I'm running Windows on a MacBook Pro and that can be glitchy sometimes, uh, so I close out of Word to protect the file from corruption when that happens. Which means with all of the interruptions and bathroom breaks, that sermon had been saved, closed, and reopened no less than 10 times. It was fine every time. In spite of all of those precautions, I was left with nothing. But I had done something the day before that I never do. I had printed it out for Lori. So not all was lost. When I got back to the office, Lori started typing, retyping it for me while I was in meetings. And then all afternoon, I worked on the end. Well, I tried. I got nowhere. I was too tired and had writer's block. So I shut everything down and I headed home. I knew Dee Dee wouldn't be home that night, so I would work on it after a break. And got nowhere once again. I went to bed, fell asleep immediately, and wouldn't you know it, God woke me up at 1.30 in the morning with the ending in my head, as well as a few rewrites, and I wasn't going to risk losing all of that. So I got up and I went downstairs and spent the next two hours finishing my sermon. And I got back in bed at 3.30, asleep by four, blessed sleep. And wouldn't you know it, woke up two minutes before my 5 a.m. alarm. Now, you'd think that I would have turned off the alarm, rolled back and rolled over and went back to sleep. But I couldn't. You see, God once again woke me up, and he was clearly speaking something to me, as real as if it had been audible. And I looked up, looked up to heaven, and I said, really? Now? Let me take a shower, get a Diet Coke, and get to the office so I can journal this. So that's what I did. I, 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 I journaled what he was telling me. 
And he said, Chris, you're going through a growth spurt. And as I journaled, I, I realized that he had sown the seeds for this new thing in the summer of 2022. It took a whole year before there was finally enough growth for me to see some of what he was and is doing in me. I've mentioned this before, but we have lots of new people, so bear with me. When I first became the lead pastor, it took me a while to get my footing on the inside. Internally, I felt like I didn't measure up as a lead pastor, like I was a poser. And as I was figuring out what kind of lead pastor I was going to be, I kept looking around at other lead pastors saying, well, I don't, I don't want to be like that. I don't, I don't want to do that. That isn't me. Until finally God said, Chris, quit trying to figure out who you are as a lead pastor by what you don't want. What kind of a lead pastor do you want to be? And it took me a while to settle into that. And wouldn't you know it, just just when I was feeling comfortable and solid, like I'm far enough along figuring out who I am as a lead pastor, I can just relax a little. Instead of agreeing with me, God tells me, Chris, it's time for a growth spurt. Again, God? God's, word, God's words through the prophet Isaiah come to mind. He writes in Isaiah chapter 43, but, but forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I am going to do. For I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. So yeah, Chris, forget all the groundwork. Now I am doing something new again. Now all of this has me thinking about growth and how people grow. I think that all of us would prefer that we give our lives to Christ and then just become. I picture it visually like this. We say yes to Jesus and kablamo, we are instantly mature in Christ. Wouldn't that be cool? God just miraculously and instantaneously does his perfect work in you. You receive it and become. Or maybe we'd like it to look like this, just slow obedience in the right direction. It feels like the easiest path to maturity. I just slowly surrender to Jesus over time. That way I can just fit Jesus into my life in small doses. Compare that to the way it more realistically happens if we are committed to the journey. Growth happens in spurts. We have a, a hard growing season and growing seasons are always hard. And then we chill a little until we begin to get comfortable. We don't really need God anymore to navigate life. Not that we think that consciously. It just happens as we settle into the new season. So he brings us into another growth spurt. Allows us to breathe a little. And then another spurt. Becoming like Jesus happens in spurts. Or for those of us who like to wrestle with God for control, we come to Christ. We get really excited. We start growing. And then we get distracted. God disappoints us. Other Christians disappoint us, we lose our job, or sometimes even worse, get a promotion and our job consumes even more of our lives. Our marriage challenges get overwhelming. It's just this endless cycle of back and forth and back and forth, on fire for Jesus, lukewarm, cold, 
on fire, lukewarm, cold, lukewarm, cold, fire, cold, slowly, painfully growing up in Jesus. Now, whatever the, the pattern in your life has been, the reality is that you are different today than you were just one year ago. God has been at work doing something new in you. You aren't the same person today that you were on December 31st, 2022. Over and over again in the Bible, God tells us to look back and remember. To look back and remember what he has already done in us, for us, through us. Psalm 145 puts it simply like this. I remember the days of old. I ponder all your great works and think about what you have done. You see, we have a tendency to get caught up in the here and now and forget or maybe take for granted what God has already done in our lives. And then we hit challenging seasons, growth spurts, and we lose steam. We lose hope. We get discouraged. It feels like God has abandoned us or isn't listening to us or doesn't care. But it's in looking back that we begin to see a better picture of how far we've already come. Looking back gives us hope when we feel hopeless, courage when we are afraid, because we know that God has not only shown up when we needed him in the past, he's been there all along. And you can't really know where you're going if you never look back at where you've come from. Whether you've yet to realize it or not, God has been up to something in you. You want to figure it out. You want it to settle into your soul. Those lessons have, been, have usually been hard won. You don't want to miss what he's been trying to do and have to go through all of that all over again. So today, we're going to try something different. I've already just given you one picture of how to look back and remember. I've asked the other pastors to do the same. Well, John, John got out of this. I guess having twins is a good enough excuse. <laughs> I'll just tell you what he's learned in 2023. He's learned to change diapers. <laughs> but because looking back and remembering can be different for every person, I asked Jan and Michelle to share what God's been up to in their lives this year as well. Maybe something they say will spark something in you that you wouldn't get from me. And that's okay. Whatever it takes to help you grow. So next up is Jan. Though a few of you grew up learning from her in children's ministries. Yes, she's been here that long. Um, <laughs> this is her first time teaching in big church. Jan? Thank you, guys. Well, I'm Jan, and I'm the children's pastor here. What? So my journey with Dayspring began in 1994 when my late husband Greg and I started attending, and soon after, we became members of Dayspring Fellowship. Two of our children were in preschool, and one was in elementary school. So the next step seemed natural for us to serve in children's ministry. 
So as the church grew, so my passion to continue to serve children also grew. Eventually, I moved into different leadership positions, serving with our children's ministry pastors, Margot Gerner, and our beloved Anna Burtz. So when Anna stepped down to serve her family, I was asked to fill in as an interim children's pastor until the position was filled. The pastors and I realized that that was where God wanted me to be. So with a great deal of help from our nursery and soon-to-be early childhood coordinator, Liz Besand, we are moving in the direction that God is leading our Dayspring families. <clears throat> Several years ago, our church studied the 40 days of passion, or 40 days of purpose, which was based on the purpose-driven life by Rick Warren. One challenge we were asked to do was to decide on a life verse, and the one that I chose and continue to embrace is Mark 12, 30 through 31. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. So I was challenged uh, this year to reflect on the question to quote Pastor Chris, what does love demand? What does the commandment say to first love God and then to love others? One, how do I live each of these out? So first, what does it mean to love God? Well, first let's ask, what does it mean that he first loved us? It was his willing surrender to the Father's will to die an excruciating death on the cross, separated from God to provide us with a once and for all perfect sacrifice so we could live with him in an eternity instead of being separated because of our sin. He wants us to have a relationship with him because he loves us. So what is our loving response? It's our willingness to die to ourselves, which includes giving him our time, including my British mysteries, <sighs> our precious hard-earned money, our dreams for ourselves and for our loved ones. Another way he shows us his love is by giving us free will. Our loving response is to choose Christ each and every time. But if we mess up and we don't make the right choice, he forgives us each time with no shame. Do you struggle like I do into developing a relationship with him? I get distracted so easily by so many things what my plans are for the day, what I didn't get done yesterday, etc., etc. Pastor Michelle shared that she uses the YouVersion daily app, and it's uh, one of our Bible reading plans during our quiet time. I've been using the same app, and as many of you probably are too. I began writing the verse down of the day and then posting it to social media, then going through the guided scripture and um, watching the speaker and reading the devotional. Then I journal about what God is showing me. A really meaningful verse that I just came across to me was just within this last month, is Psalm 147, 11. And that is, the Lord delights in him, delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Wow, he delights in me? 
I bring him joy. It's not because of anything that I do, but just because of who I am. That's what motivates me to keep pursuing a relationship with him. After guided scripture, I was just kind of going through the guided prayer section, but again, I kept getting distracted. I found that by continuing to journal through the guided prayer section, it helped me to focus on the prayers and have time to reflect and hear God speaking to my heart. And another thing, Michelle mentioned this already, please, starting tomorrow, if you can, get on that Day Springs 2024 Bible reading plan, the one-year Bible, again, also through the YouVersion Bible app. You could even add in a song, a worship song from YouTube or something, but it's still a work in process for me. What about loving others? Oh, I have such a long way to go. There are others in my life. First, my family. I have one daughter, Heidi, and my son-in-law who live in West Salem, along with my two grandchildren. A daughter, Jenny, and her husband live in the Dallas, Texas area. And Becky and her significant other live all the way in Connecticut. So one way we've stayed connected is having a family group text where we share our stats from the Daily New York Times Wordle and Connections app. Yeah. We play that online, and then it often sparks so many more conversations, but it's a way to stay connected. And thanks to my dear mother and father-in-law, Greg and I began our traveling traditions with our family when they were very young, which we still continue to do to enjoy together in honor of him. So when Pastor Chris taught the parenting series, ugh, I was challenged. Wow, I could have done that differently. <laughs> now, how do I continue to parent my adult children? Well, one of my daughters has had some health and also some job struggles. Instead of sympathizing with her and saying, oh, it's okay, I've learned instead to help her grow through her adversities rather than to get stuck in them. Next, my church family and friends have become increasingly important to me in the past few years. Many of you have reached out to me and been a great comfort and walked with me through my toughest times. And I've been blessed with new friends in the last couple of years too. Loving others includes me taking the first step initiating time together and saying yes to invitations to others from others. So after our last grief share class last month, Kay, a new friend of mine, invited me for ice cream. But my first reaction is, no, I just want to go home and chill and watch my British mysteries. Instead, I said yes, and we had a delightful time, even though, and even we took in some Christmas lights. So. The most important thing I can do as a friend is to listen. Now, as an extrovert, I often talk more than I listen. What a surprise. And yes, I hear some of you say amen to that and struggle too, maybe. Next to consider are the Dayspring kids and the grandkids. I've noticed that as I age, I'm not quite as patient as I once was since COVID our children and students have many, many more emotional needs. We, you and I, need to ask ourselves, how do we love our kids and help lead them to a relationship 
with Christ by loving them unconditionally. That means that their behavior does not dictate how we treat them. We can't just react to their behavior, but we need to lead them with grace, teaching them God's truth in love. And finally, what about the others we come in contact with in our everyday lives? What does love demand with them? It's again, finding that balance of grace and truth. And if you have time, hear their story. Seek that relationship first, not in judgment, but in a trusting relationship, just as Christ does with us. Then they're more willing to accept the truth that we share. It's not a new concept, but loving others means imitating Christ in his love. Happy New Year. You know, when the pastoral team was discussing this service, um, Chris asked each of us to share a few minutes on how we experienced God this year. And honestly, there is nothing I like to share about more. I love to share how I have experienced God. And I was pretty excited. I mean, my favorite verse just jumped right into my head. You know, Isaiah 40, 31. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And now one thing about me is that I get pretty excited about a project until I realize how difficult it is. Now, those of you who know me know that I will take on just about any project because I actually think that I can do it. Things like remodeling or sewing or upholstery or baking, stuff like that, or actually anything that else that someone might suggest that needs to be done. Does the phrase Pinterest fail mean anything to anyone? So anyway, I was all excited about sharing how, hot, how I have experienced God this year because I have in a big way. And then the challenge began. It's a two-fold challenge, really. Now, one, how do I share God's amazing faithfulness without sharing the details? I mean, details give context and help people to relate, but they also trigger other people. And when someone is struggling with the same situation and their answer looks different, that cre can create more pain for someone else. And also, de details can often distract from the main point. People can get bogged down in the stories and just miss that point. So I want to keep the focus on God's faithfulness, not the details of my struggles. Now, the second challenge is how to share without throwing other people under the bus. I mean, God is always working. People are still on the journey of learning how not to be a jerk, or how to quit talking negatively, or how to forgive, or how to understand that they're causing more hurt than they realize, including me. Throwing others under the bus does not glorify God, and it also distracts from the main point. So in order to keep the focus where it belongs, I will not be sharing details of my experience. 
I'll share in general terms to keep the focus on Jesus and his faithfulness. So re- recently, Deeds, that's what I call her, Deedee, my friend. This is also a weapon. <laughs> Deedee gave this uh, to me, and it says, it's not my first rodeo, I have season tickets. <laughs> it kind of sums up my life as far as experience with challenge and heartbreak. And this year was no different. And as one year flows into the next, some of my experiences of this year came forward from the year before. And then, of course, this year brought its own growth opportunities. And I call them growth opportunities because that's exactly what hard times are. They're an opportunity for us to grow, to grow our faith. And like it or not, in order to grow, we have to be tested to the point where there's nothing else to do but have faith that God is working, that He loves us, that He is good, and that His plan is perfect. And what might seem like it should be simple for one person can actually be crazy difficult for them. And it's because they're still growing their faith muscles. I mean, maybe this is their first time at the gym. Sometimes I wonder if I actually own the gym. And I'm sure that you feel that way about your challenges too. But God. You've heard me say that before. But God. You know, when you say the word but, It negates everything that came before that in the sentence. I experienced pain, but God. I experienced hardship, but God. I experienced disappointment, but God. And that's why I say it so much, but God. God's faithfulness negates the negative. Now, God's faithfulness isn't always the outcome that we desire or expect, and it can be, but it isn't always. God's faithfulness is in the fact that we survive it, emotionally speaking. And God's faithfulness in our growth in good times and through rougher ones. God is faithful to love us and grow us and comfort us and give us strength, and that needs to be enough. Now, you've heard me say that I journal in my quiet time. Um, I journal my prayers and scripture and just kind of babble to Jesus. And I decided that, you know, I I could find help if I looked back over this year's journal. So I did. And after scheduling a follow up with my counselor, just kidding. Well, um, actually, not really. I did go in for a tune-up about mid-year. Anyway, my journal. It's filled with God's peace and presence. When we seek the Lord, He meets us where we are. And I look back and I see how many times He gave me strength for the day. I see how many times He kept my mouth shut. I see how many times he provided exactly what I needed 
to know that he was with me. He has provided me with support and love and blessings beyond measure. He allowed death, but he also provided new life abundantly. He provided the love, he provided the love that I needed to give when I didn't even have a drop of love in me. He provided the strength to have hard conversations. He provided special new relationships that give me new life. And he reminded me that I needed to start having fun again. I see how he answered prayers in ways that I didn't even consider. And I see the not yet answers. He's still working. Just because it's a not yet doesn't mean that he forgot about it or that he gave up on it. He's always working even when we can't see it or we choose not to. He has been so faithful in bringing my heart around to where his heart is that I can't even, I can't even put it into words. I mean, his faithfulness isn't always in fixing things the way that I think they should be fixed. His faithfulness is in working in me, changing my heart to trust him more. And I think most of us can sum up our challenges or, and our heartache in one word, fear. We are afraid. We're afraid of the loss. We're afraid of the disappointment. We're afraid that there won't be enough. We're afraid that we're not enough. We're afraid that our heart just can't take it. But God. God has told us in his word that he will never leave us, he will never forsake us, and he won't. You know, that word fear is gravely misunderstood. It actually has two meanings, and I think we tend to camp on the first one, which is an emotion of dread or alarm caused by a perceived danger. You know, I'm afraid of the outcome of whatever, at least I do. But biblical fear is different. It's a profound reverence and awe of God. And for me, it is an ultimate trust in his work. Now, I'm sure that my challenges are not over for my lifetime. Even so, I'm going to choose the word fear differently. I'm choosing to focus on who God is and not on what's happening. And I'm not going to lie, it isn't always easy. But focusing on the who of Jesus changes my perception on the what of life. Now, to start, I read you my favorite verse, Isaiah 40, 31. But I want to put it into context by reading a bit more of the chapter. And we're going to start with the same, same chapter, Isaiah 40, but we're going to go start at verse 12. You'll see it on the screens here. Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighted the, weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Who is able to advise the Spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? 
Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice? No. For all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. They are nothing more than dust on the scales. He picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. All the wood in Lebanon's forest and all, the Lebanon, all Lebanon's animals would not be enough to make a burnt offering worthy of our holy God. The nations of the world are worth nothing to him. In his eyes, they count for less than nothing, mere emptiness and froth. To whom can you compare God? What image can you find to resemble him? Can he be compared to an idol formed in a mold overlaid with gold and decorated with silver chains? Or if people are too poor for that, they might at least choose wood that won't decay and a skilled craftsman to carve out an image that won't fall down. Haven't you heard? Don't you understand? Are you deaf to the words of God, the words he gave before the world began? Are you so ignorant? God sits above the circle of the earth. The people below seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes his tent from them. He judges the great people of the world and brings them all to nothing. They hardly get started, barely taking root. The wind carries them off like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Look up to the heavens who created the, who created the stars. He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, it's not a single one is missing. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? Oh, Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you ever, have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. This is the God that I experienced this year. Well, I know I've already, technically already taken my term. But I'd like to share one more thing that God is doing in me. And let me, let me set it up this way. We are all born dead. That is, because we are born into sin, we are dead spiritually. We are broken if you imagine me dropping this bottle to the ground, it would shatter beyond repair. That's how we are born, on the inside. We are born with an identity that is shattered beyond repair. We don't know who we are or what, who we are called to become until we meet Jesus. And he begins the process of remaking our identity from the inside out. 
We are brought to life instantly, but we still have a lot of cracks at first, which is what our discipleship journey is all about. It's allowing Jesus to do his good work in us, changing us from the inside out as we become more like him. From the inside out, he heals the cracks in our identity. In fact, the only way our identity can be remade is from the inside out. The world, our, our culture, tries to do it from the outside in, but outside in never works in the long run. It's like putting a Band-Aid on a wound that is still bleeding. Sometimes the work is painfully slow. That's usually because of us, by the way. And sometimes the work occurs faster than we're really comfortable with, which is also because of us. We're really good at fighting God for control of our lives. But over time, Jesus heals the cracks from the inside out. It can be slow, tedious work because one big crack can be made up of thousands of little shards that need to be lovingly found and healed themselves. You know, for example, I, I grew up in, with what we might call a father wound. Broken homes and a feeling of not measuring up or being man enough contributed to that father wound. There was more, of course, but I don't, I don't want to get off topic. A father wound is part of a very complex category of wounds. That is, it, it's a big crack made up of many shards of wounds. And in order to heal the father wound category, Jesus had to heal everything that made up that category in my life, piece by piece. But eventually, with time and intentionally partnering with Jesus in the process, those cracks get smaller and smaller, and we begin to become whole again, or for the first time, really. Of course, when we rebel and choose to live life on our own terms instead of his, we undo some of that good work in our lives, and he has to start again. I've been on my journey with Christ for almost 50 years now. He's done a lot of work in me. And to the best of my knowledge, all of the big cracks have been taken care of. I'm, I'm pretty sure Dee Dee would tell you that that's true. She's got the best view of my insights. She's watched it change for 30 years. But there are still cracks. Because we'll never be perfect on this side of heaven. There are still cracks in our identity. And I realized at some point this year that I had no idea what cracks were left. I mean, I could see symptoms of some of those cracks in my identity, but having, I was having trouble finding the root. Even though I didn't know what those cracks were anymore, I know that Jesus does. And so I began to invite him to heal those cracks. Every time I see a symptom pop up, I pray, Father, I invite you into that broken place, whatever it is. Do your perfect work there. When I'm tempted to sin, Father, join me here in my temptation and heal whatever is broken in me that might make me choose that temptation instead of you. Father, join me here in my anxious thoughts. Join me here in my crappy attitude. I, I basically decided that I don't need to know what he's doing. He's free to work any way he wants. The message of the Apostle Paul throughout his letters is that apart from the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, we stay cracked. We don't heal 
the cracks. The Holy Spirit heals the cracks. Uh, Paul speaks to this thought in Romans and Galatians. And, and in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he writes, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen. For he is the one who, for, the, for he who calls you is faithful. God makes our holiness happen. He is faithful to do his work in us even when we are faithless. So as I, I look back at how God has been changing me in this past year, I realize that I, I really want my whole spirit, soul, and body to be presented as blameless and holy when I cross the finish line into eternity. And since I can't even tell what's broken anymore, probably because I'm blinded by my own weakness or too stubborn to let go of something that I've long justified as acceptable, well, I'm... I'm letting Jesus do his perfect work in me, blindly turning over those broken pieces. And to be honest, it feels a little weird and really cool. I can, I can feel myself changing in ways that I'm still trying to understand. I know that the growth spurt I mentioned earlier is related and different. I mean, I'm, I'm one person, so everything is related, but my growth spurt has to do with my role as a pastor. It's deepening the expression of me as the lead pastor. And this other growth is about me as a Christ follower. Again, I'm one person. I'm the same on stage as off, so one impacts the other and vice versa. But as a Christ follower long before I was a pastor, and my identity isn't in my role, it's in Jesus. Too many pastors have taken their eye off the ball and forgotten that truth. We've seen it in the headlines. And that's not the kind of headline I want written about my life. So Jesus, I invite you into those broken places. Will you do the same? Now, in a, in a few minutes, we're going to take communion together. But I want to do something a little different before we get to that point. We've talked about a lot today. And, and here's what I, I know to be true. God has been doing something in you. And I want to give you just a, a couple of minutes of just reflection uh, um, on your own to just kind of begin to get a sense of what, what God has been trying to do in you this year so that you can put that you can take that and put it where it belongs, ready for next year. You don't want to carry anything into next year that's not of God. So deal with, deal with that. And two minutes is not enough time, but it, it might be enough to spark a conversation with Jesus that you need to have. So I'm going to tickle the ivories for a couple of minutes while you process, and then I'll pray. And then we'll talk about communion. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. 
Working through those questions on your own or with others will help the truth of God's Word begin to shape your life as you grow to be like Jesus. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. If you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. We count it a privilege to play a small part in God's perfect work in you today. The people who call Dayspring their home church make this ministry possible. Their faithful giving is proof of God's work in their lives and they want to pay it forward so you can experience the same life-changing presence of Jesus. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. Until we meet again, I am praying that God will give you opportunities to use your influence for the glory of His kingdom. And one more thing, thank you for liking, sharing, and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. Even more, thank you for sharing our services with your friends and family. If this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. God uses you to plant seeds in other people's lives. So keep sowing.